Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we're going to continue our look at the martyrdom of Stephen. Stephen, again, chosen by Paul and the other um, disciples to apostles to basically um, take up some roles that they couldn't fulfill at the time where there was a need and a certain part of the body of the church, um, the Hellenists mainly, uh, Greek-speaking widows essentially, that felt like they were being neglected and both by food distribution of the daily bread, if you will, but also the spiritual amazing side that is there when you have that um, fellowship with the church, when you have that um, true cohesion all brought together by the amazing unified love of the Holy Spirit and the goodness of God. Um, So again, the disciples, they went around and they chose men that were suited to um, basically take up some uh, different roles that they could not themselves fulfill because the disciples were focused again on um, spreading the word throughout uh, the world, the known world at the time. And essentially, you know, they had uh, sort of bigger fish to fry, if you will, you know, to put it in some lame and common terms. And again, they needed some uh, assistance and that's exactly what they did. They went out and found men. Again, this is from Acts chapter six. I'll just read verse three. You know, they found men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Which those three things right there, those three qualities are huge when it comes to just um, the overall life that we lead. You know, it's um, it's interesting that when you really think about our lives, they're really, um, you know, I heard a cool saying this morning, a wise saying when I was listening to a, to something. He said basically that um, the decisions we make today will determine who we are tomorrow. Very wise saying right there, very wise and and very true, you know, when it comes down to it, our lives are basically the product of a series of micro decisions that we make every day um, throughout our lives, you know, Um, you know, the decisions we made years ago are evident in our lives today as to where we are, you know, Um, that's very real and be it um, be you in the world or in the church, you that's a very real reality either way. And this whole um, idea, again, is taking, um, taking a, a close look at what we do every day. You know, that, that's a very essential thing. And when you say, you know, when they looked for men of good reputation, you know, those men, um, obviously that were chosen were people that were, um, could not be spoken against in their community. But as we saw here in the end of chapter six, when Stephen was, you know, going around when he was helping, when he was preaching the message of God, the religious Jews, the religious people at the time basically set him up with false witnesses saying with false statements and now we're going to get into where they basically, the Stevens called before the religious people in the area and said, what do you say about what they're saying about you? Now, again, keep in mind, Stephen had a good reputation. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he was a wise man. 
So you'll see his approach and how he approaches this whole situation. Um, but you'll also hearken back again. If he had a good reputation, he wasn't a liar. He wasn't a blasphemer. He stuck to the scripture, as we're going to see here in Acts chapter 7. But, um, you know, again, when people hate the message, uh, they are they kill the messenger, essentially. And they did it, you know, to the prophets in the Old Testament. They did it all the way up to here in the New Testament, where they're martyring Stephen, as we're going to see, and where, you know, eventually Paul was beheaded, you know, and... You know, there's just, um, there's persecution, there's things that happened. And, um, you know, when you stand up for the truth, truthfully and fully, you're going to suffer persecution in one form or another. You know, um, in our society, you could call it sort of social martyrdom, if you will, because, you know, if you these days stand enough for the Lord, you're not going to be in many very popular circles these days because it's a very unpopular perspective worldview and um, lifestyle to lead but thankfully God has his remnant here on the earth always until he's finished and then he wants to remove that remnant but at this time we, we are living under a period of grace and um, it is our duty and our call to you know stand up for the gospel and be that witness um, God gives us a witness and a testimony not only for the amazing ability that we can see it in our own lives but to share it with others because that's where the true power in the gospel of jesus christ lies people can sit and again i say it all the time you can debate religious texts you can debate everything under the sun but one thing nobody can ever argue with is the very real reality of the life-changing experience we all have when we truly submit to jesus christ say you are the son of god you did die you did resurrect and thank you for dying for my sins i'm all yours when you do that and that commitment is made um it's a life-changing event that is really something that again as god begins to work in our lives you know i'm just going through a little study here uh, in my own personal life which is on discipline and how essential it is and um, it, it's a really amazing thing when God, you know, takes us under his wing and starts to sort of clean out our closets, if you will, you know, all those things that, you know, we do maybe in the open or maybe in secret, you know, but, you know, <laughs> there is no hiding from the Lord. And it's very biblical. He is everywhere. He is up. He is down and he is everywhere in between. So, um and that's a very sobering idea, too, because, um, you know, it's pretty incredible the omnipresence of God. But, you know, he he wishes that none should perish and all should live. That's why he gave us his best, his first fruit, his only son, Jesus Christ, to be our substitute lamb and die in our place so that we can be forgiven. The spiritual um, implications of that are just literally life-changing and mind-blowing once you really grasp hold of them accept them and start to live them out so all right without any further ado let's continue our look at again Stephen the martyr we're going to be in Acts chapter 7 okay and like I said we are going to start in or we're actually just going to look today anyway at Acts chapter 7 but 
We're actually going to start in Acts chapter 6, and I just want to read the very last verse, 15. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. That that scripture right there is very unique. My my study Bible makes no other, no note to it, no reference to it whatsoever. But there's a reason why things are in the Bible, and you know I believe what that is saying. As I just sit and really think about it, again, <laughs> picture. I mean, Stephen's basically been drugged before you know a council of very powerful religious people. That literally have the, the ability to have, sentence him to death. And I believe what that is saying there when I really think about it. And all who sat on the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. What that is saying is in their spirit, they knew he was innocent. They knew what they were doing was wrong. And they knew what they were doing was absolutely evil. Yet they were they followed through with it. But but they knew at that time. And it's an important point that's made here because we all know before we do things that we shouldn't, whether we're in the world or in the church, our conscious is there. And sure, in the world, your conscious can be seared to the point of where you don't feel anything. I mean, people can walk around and kill each other these days like it's nothing over. I mean, it used to be as ricky ridiculous as like a pair of shoes, but these days it's not even that. It's like they just want to kill people just because of the, the most absurd reasons. I live in Philadelphia, highest murder rate in the, in the country. Um, it's absolutely unreal, the stuff I see. And, and I can't even pay attention to the news anymore. I really don't because it's just so disturbing. It's If, if you paid attention to it, you wouldn't want to leave your house because it's really that bad. But when it comes down to it, what my point is, we all know right before we do something wrong, God gives us that check in our spirit. He gives us that check in our conscience. And whether people realize it or not, even in the world unsaved, that conscience is put there by God. I believe the Ten Commandments are written on our hearts. I believe that they are um, a, a, a um, fundamental element that's built into our very soul and DNA and character, uh, spiritually, if not physically. And... Um, I do believe that, again, people are given an opportunity, even when they're about to do something very wrong and evil, your conscience, your spirit says, don't do this. Or it shows you the wrong and how you are wrong and why you shouldn't do it. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I believe that's what was happening with these people on the council here when they say, again, they saw his face of as a face of an angel. They saw that he was innocent. But they still, sure, due to all the political pressures and everything else, followed through with Acts chapter 7. So let's read Acts chapter 7 and uh, go from there. So My Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible, subtitles this, Stephen's Address, The Call of Abraham. So again, Acts chapter 7, verse 1. Stephen the martyr speaking in front of a very powerful council of religious folk who basically are falsely accusing him of blaspheming and, um, you know, uh, telling lies, essentially. So um, again, here we go. Then the high priest said, are these things so? And he said, brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. 
Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob. And Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, seventy-five people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, be, excuse me, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. I'm probably butchering that name, but it's the best I can do right now. Uh, picking up it again, Acts chapter 7, verse 17. But when the time of the promise draw, drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they may, may not live. At this time, Moses was born and well as, excuse me, and was well pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. And when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then, at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when forty years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush, 
in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who were in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. Then Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush? He brought them out. After he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses, who you said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who was in the excuse me. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give us. Quickly, oracles can also be said um, sayings. So basically the living commandments, which again, you know, they, they're we some people really misconstrue oracles these days because of pop culture, but it's simply the uh, sayings of the Ten Commandments. Whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they had, they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Remphan, Images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of what of witness in the wilderness, as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all of these things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, 
of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and not kept it. So quickly here, I want to stop before we finish up. That's all the way up to verse 53 of Acts 7. And basically you can see Stephen here, um, again, very well-versed, obviously, in the um, the Torah or the old, uh, the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, very, uh, again, obviously a very uh, spiritual um, student of the word and full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, only with the Holy Spirit can you be quickened and be so bold to speak as he did there. And you can see in the last few verses there, um, you know, 51 to 53, that's where he basically goes off and says, you know, hey, you basically rejected all this. Your fathers killed the prophets. Your fathers were the betrayers and the murderers. So um, basically accusing them of having blood on their hands and for basically directly disobeying the Lord and just, you know, carrying on with their dead idolatrous religious practices. Take note there as well. There's a reason why Stephen points out the idolatry that Israel was engaged in. First and foremost, it's the one of it, it is the it is at the top of the Ten Commandments for a reason. They also have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols, you should make no graven images. Again, we 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 live under the operation of a spiritual life, a, a holy spirit. This physical realm is not something that should be, we should be trying to appease ourselves with, with things we can see, touch, and feel. Because those very false idols that are made, and I just, it always just, the Catholic Church is so blasphemous. And I'm really, I did a couple couple episodes on it in the season one, but that was just a, a basic um, reproduction of, of a series that I do. But I'm going to dig, I, there's really no digging to be done, frankly. I mean... You look at the Ten Commandments, you look at the Catholic Church, it's just a total blasphemy that the, the the ritual of mass that's performed every week is an absolute abomination against the very word of God. And it's just, a, it's a shame. It's a real sadness. But like any other cult, you know, when you take the true gospel and you mix it in with man's lies, you get false, fake religion, idolatry and everything else. But point being, again, Stephen points out that the idolatry is what really set their hearts against God. Again, those idols that have eyes but can't see, ears that can't hear, mouths that can't speak, feet that can't walk. God makes a very clear point of that in mocking those idols, which we're going to look at that too. Maybe I'll just do a series on idolatry soon because I think that's a very important topic that God's really putting on my heart. Um, but, you know, it's... It, it's essential that we grasp this because that idolatry to this day plays a role in the failure of the church. It plays, you know, again, the idolatry of wanting to their self-image, you know, um, self-pride, ego. We've never lived in more times that are so self-indulged. I mean, everybody feels like they're a brand. Everybody feels like they're some kind of unique star. I'm sorry, but, you know. There's over 300 million people in this country alone, 7 billion plus on the earth. There, If a good God exists, he wouldn't let his gospel be so volatile and um, 
unclear that there could be 7 billion truths or 3 million truths. There's one truth that we are all called to fall in line with. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's reality. It's the truth. I can't sugarcoat it any other way. I won't sugarcoat it any other way. And I certainly will not give any any um, credence or anything to anything other than the truth that is truly in the word of God. And once you get into that word, you see that it's the living word who is Jesus Christ himself coming through the amazing dynamic of the triune God, the way he works, the father setting the tone, the son fulfilling this purpose, then the Holy Spirit just coming and enabling and empowering us. It is, I get shivers right now through my body just thinking about it and talking about it because he is amazing. The, 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 composition of God as three in one as as a you know people try to understand it the best way I can describe it I guess is sort of like a small team you know I this is how I explain it to my kids because hey it's hard for me to wrap my mind around at 42 my kids thank God they're so thirsty they just want to know and just ask questions and I try to make it but you know it's it's basically like they're uh you know a team with the very um with the very intense goal that they are focused on. And that is the redemption of mankind from Satan. And God is amazing. He's good. He's all the things that this world isn't and all the ways that they fail, all the things you think you're looking for out there that have always disappointed you. God is that fulfillment that you're missing. You know, he fills the hole in our soul, if you will, when it comes down to what we're all looking for in life, when we're out there in the wilderness, kind of roaming around just on a whimsical type of thing, you know, it goes hand in hand with discipline and, and with understanding and with um, maturity. Um, you know, there's a lot. And, you know, when it comes to maturity, one big sign of spiritual maturity is your individual devotion to the word of God. I highly encourage you every day, daily, take, look, we all know how much time we waste in a day on in front of a television, in front of a video game, in front of you name it. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if anything is an idol or comes before your time with the Lord, take it as a healthy grain of advice right now to just put God, prioritize your life. And I promise you, if you put God first, you will, <laughs> as you really get into the word and see what the Holy Spirit can show you, teach you and mold you into, those other things, you, you'll be surprised. It's like, and I see it myself. I mean, I those things will sort of fade away. Not saying I don't watch TV or don't play video games, but you know, you become aware of how much time, frankly, you waste doing that. I mean, I used to sit, I could play video games sometimes. I know <laughs> 42 years old, believe it or not, I could sit, you know, when I had some downtime and off time, I could spend hours and hours in front of a PlayStation, but you know, it's, or in front of a television, just watching, you know, my favorite TV shows. But you know, again, as you get a disciplined life and as you mature spiritually and you really get into the word, you see that 
wow, this spiritual side of life is way more appealing than all this physical stuff around me. And the reason for that is because that's who we were made to be in constant fellowship with the Lord who just loves us and wants to be the everything that we're looking for in life. That's who he is. That's what he is. So again, nothing wrong with anything as long as obviously you're, you're watching. Look, I don't need to go into detail about what you're watching or what you're playing, but you know, I would use obviously wise discretion in those areas. And again, None of this is made to make anybody feel guilty because it's just simply God will show you these things, but it's how we respond. I guess what I'm trying to do is really encourage people to respond to that still small voice when God's saying, hey, you know, turn this off. Maybe I got something to show you in the word. Making those decisions and conscious decisions, you'll see the rewards. I mean, it's amazing. It's God equipping us spiritually. And you know why he's doing it? Because you're praying for things right now and asking God for things, yet you're not fulfilling your end. But, and this has nothing to do with, again, legalism. But what I'm trying to say is you, we want things from the Lord, yet we don't want to lead disciplined lives. And God will bless us in his time regardless. And I've lived that. But at the same time, it's like God, when we get in, again, I just, he keeps putting this maturity idea. It's spiritual maturity, you know, growing up, you know, Paul says it himself, you know, when I was a child, I did childish things. But as an adult, I put those things away and focused on, you know, adult mature things. That's one thing, you know, God weaned my <laughs> my video game time down because he showed me, frankly, kind of how silly it was for me to be wasting time, you know, at all playing video games at this point in my life. But, you know, he, he still allows a little, you know, an hour here, hour there, you know. But, you know, again, it's putting away those things that you did when we were, that we do as children and really consciously stepping into a different phase of life. And God meets us there, like anything else, like anywhere else, anything God does. Again, anything God may change in your life, he's only doing it for your best interest. And I promise you, what he puts in that area, whether it just be more time with him, <laughs> trust me, it's way better than what you thought you were fulfilling. And you'll see that as, as you grow. So, all right, before we go any further and conclude Acts chapter 7, again, we stopped, we read all the way up to verse 53. Now, we still have verses 54 to 60 to go, which is the conclusion of the um, account of Stephen the martyr in the, in the New Testament in, in the Bible. But let's look at the note here because it's, uh, it's a very wise um, you know, uh, thing. Again, get a study Bible. I'd highly encourage you if you have just a normal – it's hard to just have a Bible that just speaks – you know, the, the, the plain text and, and to stick with it because, and I say that, especially as a new Christian, because we have, you know, you can read something on paper, but it's, it's hard sometimes for it to really set in and don't get me wrong. The Holy Spirit will lead you to places and show you things in his word that, you know, again, he has a way of working that is beyond understanding at this point for me, but he does. And, but, but I, my point is, when you get a study Bible, you can really look and cross-reference. Again, I mean, I have a, a center column in every page of, of my Bible that gives me references. I mean, I'm talking 
there's probably 50 references I can look at right now just for Acts chapter 7 verses 6 to 33. I mean, they're all in Genesis. They're all, all over the Bible. And my point is, when you can start looking and seeing the wholeness and the big picture of the Word of God, and you truly start to grasp that understanding, and you see, you know, study notes, and you see, and, and the people that do these Bibles are very, um, you know, they're scholarly, and they're educated, and they're, they're, they have good, they're men of good, and women of, um, you know, full of the Holy Spirit, good reputation, and wisdom, you know, and there's, um again, uh, it's a beautiful thing that men and women have roles and leaderships and different things in the church. And I truly, again, fully support that. I think it's an amazing thing. I, again, don't believe that women are to be head pastors of churches per se. Um, but I do believe that women do play vital key leadership roles and should have voices, you know, in church councils and, and, uh, boards, for example. And, um, things of that nature to, um, you know, keep a nice whole, you know, view of what's going on in the body, wherever that may be. So, um, but again, point being, get it, getting into the word in a deeper, deeper respect really shows you the depths of God and his word. So let's go, we're going to look at the note for Acts chapter 7 verses 1 through 53 here in my Spirit-Filled Life New King James Version Bible. Stephen's lengthy address is more than a rebuttal of the charges against him. Rather than defending himself, he brought an indictment against his accusers. Instead of manifesting a true zeal for the temple and the law in their opposition of the gospel, the Jews were displaying the same rebellious spirit of unbelief that characterized their forebearers who resisted the purposes of God. In a skillful view of Israel's history, he also concludes that God's presence is not limited to a geographical place nor a particular people. And then the note here for Acts chapter 7 verse 8, the covenant of circumcision was intended to reflect personal commitment to one's obedience to God's covenant. But the Jews made little distinction between the ritual and the reality. The 12 patriarchs are the sons of Jacob, who became the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Interesting note there, and just things that I think about, um, well, you see there, um, basically what it's saying is the circumcision, again, initially was intended to be just a uh, really a private thing, a, a commitment between, you know, yourself and God, but, you know, the religious people took it and turned it into a ritual and basically abandoned its original cause and meaning because they just do it out of, again, um, obligation almost and not out of commitment, which is a total shift in dynamic when it comes to the Lord. Again, that's the difference between relationship and religion you know relationship is a lifetime of obedience to the word of god religion is just trying to um, fit god into your life and just trying to please god your way which is why religion fails all the time and why religion is dead so um let's go and interestingly there too interestingly um at the end this note the 12 patriarchs of the son are the sons of jacob who became the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. So, you know, you look at, you look at, um, 
Joseph's brothers. And, um, well, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic. It's an interesting way God moves and it's an interesting way he uses, um, different people. And, um, again, it just has nothing to do with who you are, but it's who God sees you as is how he will use you. So, all right, let's finish up here. We're going to finish up in Acts chapter seven. We're going to look at verses 54 to 60. This is subtitled Stephen, the martyr. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the sons of man, and excuse me, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then they knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So let's look at, um, I want to look at the notes here and then we'll get into a little more depth as far as what that is saying and what happened there. So looking at the note for Acts chapter 7, verse 44, in my Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible, it says, Tabernacle of Witness. The stone tablets of the Ten Commandments were referred to as the witness or the testimony being contained within the Ark of the Covenant in the Tabernacle of Moses. Stephen was not opposed to the temple itself, but to the lifeless institutionalism it came to represent. Stephen's passionate conclusion led to his violent death. Uncircumcised in heart and ears describes those who felt self-assured because they had been outwardly circumcised. Ritualism does not bring one into a right standing before God. A change of heart through rebirth and an obedient walk of faith are the real signs of a true relationship with God. So quickly stopping there, I mean, this is kind of reiterating the point that it made and that I made. And it's interesting when it says uncircumcised in heart and ears. Again, it's that's a great um, kind of flip of the tables there when it comes to the um, ritual aspect, the outward ritual. Sure, they were doing it physically, but there was no change in their heart or in their spirit. I mean, look at how it says that they you know, his accusers, they literally, um, uh, what does, what does it say? They cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears. So that's them literally putting their hands over their ears. So they couldn't hear his words anymore. They were cut to the heart. They gnashed their teeth. These are men who were extremely angry to the point of where they kill Stephen with stones. Um, and that can't be overlooked because you look at the, the truth that they, it was cutting them so deeply because they knew, again, they were given an opportunity when they saw his face as the face of an angel before this whole thing, before this took place, God said to them, he's innocent, do not harm him. But they chose, again, to listen 
and Stephen just lays out perfectly a, a, a sound point and argument for why, you know, essentially what they were about to do, which I know he sensed Stephen, I guarantee you, he knew what was coming. Um, you know, that was the, the way of the times back then. That's how they dealt with people. And as we're going to look at this gentleman, Saul here, that's mentioned at the end, head of the Sanhedrin, that is exactly what he knew what was coming, essentially. But he lays out in the truest way, in in straight from the word of God, straight from the Torah, he lays it out and just exposes them for the liars and religious false people that they were to the point of where it cut them to the heart. They were gnashing their teeth, meaning they're looking at them. He's looking, they're looking at him, you know, mouths closed, just, just, you know, they want a piece of him literally because he is, he's the witness. He's the messenger. But what they're really angry at is the word of God. Think about that sadness. They're mad at God himself trying to, again, <laughs> expose their religion so that they can be set free and truly know what that circumcision should have meant. Um, it's pretty incredible. It's really incredible, but it says a lot. Um, so let's, I want to, again, look at the note here. Uh, we're finishing up in Acts chapter 7, verses 55 and 56. Son of man. Christ revealed, Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father is standing here to witness against Stephen's accusers and to receive him into the heavenly kingdom. Saul, the one who will become the Apostle Paul, was from Tarsus, located in Sicilia. He may have even attended the synagogue where Stephen preached. Stephen's prayer is reminiscent of that of Jesus at his crucifixion. So, you can see there it pretty pretty amazing um that last vision peter ha or excuse me um stephen had as he was being martyred of jesus standing at the right hand of god it was it seen by everyone i don't know the the commentator implies that it was here um i've never thought of it that way but it's an interesting thought and if it was true that everybody saw that how much more evil is that, that they physically saw that image and still proceeded to do what they did and stone Stephen to death? But again, quickly, one, one thing I was doing with this, uh, this few next episodes, I guess you could say, was, you know, looking at the martyrdom of Stephen, but also introducing Paul the Apostle in his original form, if you will, as Saul. And it's interesting here because this is one of the first times you see Saul here. And it says, and the witnesses laid down their clothes to the feet of a young man named Saul. So that word witnesses there is pretty interesting. And um, let's see, the word is, it, it's an interesting sort of implication into what that means and what it means is it, it was basically what back then the custom was if you were going to stone someone you needed witnesses to say yes he did this and here are our um these are our 
cloaks or our clothes or our garments, our coats, whatever they may have been, to say, yeah, I, I was here and this is true. This happened. So let's look at, again, that word witnesses and just what it what it's saying there. Um, this is the word from Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So that word witness there is actually martus. Compare martyr and martyrdom. One who testifies to the truth he has experienced, a witness, one who has knowledge of a fact and can give information concerning it. The word in itself does not imply death, but many of their first century witnesses did give their lives with a result that the word came to denote a martyr, one who witnesses for Christ by his death. So that's pretty incredible when you really look at it. Um, the fact that the word witness can also is synonymous with the word martyr. And it all goes back to, again, just the idea of physical martyrdom when people, I mean, look, there's thousands of Christians killed around the globe annually up to this very day for their faith alone. North Korea, India, a lot through the Middle East, um, a, a lot of these war-torn nations, um, they're, they're very evil people out there that will literally kill people just for their beliefs, for you know, if it's going against Islam and they're blaspheming, quote unquote, or if they're going against the local religion and the or they, they what happens in some countries is the people around the church and, and the, the leaders essentially see these places start to flourish and they start to see the spirit of God moving. And right when they see that, they want to shut it off and close it. So they kill the pastor and. Um, or they'll kill the leadership and then they're, they're just hoping that it goes away. And sometimes it does, but you know, God, again, where, where God wants to penetrate a society, he will do that and he will, the Holy spirit will move and he will prevail. <laughs> um, because by boldness and faith, there are people always willing to stand up and go where God sends them. And, um, that takes a pretty incredible witness or ability or and being ready to you know suffer that martyrdom to stand up for the word of god but we are all called to that and again in western culture and society these days that may mean more of a social martyrdom if you will um you know standing up for the truth these days can really uh is labeled as many different things and frankly it's just the devil quenching and tightening his grip on the church and Christianity, which is already foretold. And it, that's going to happen in the end times. It's going to happen globally. It's going to happen in a way that is happening right now, you know, year by year. You know, America has been a backslidden nation for decades. I mean, since the 60s, when they traded in church for drug, sex and rock and roll, it's been a downhill slide ever since, you know, and it's now it's such a slippery slope. It, it's just insane what this country's turned into. Um, 
pretty unrecognizable. Um, it, it's wow. I, I can only say, wow. It's, it's not even the place I lived in 20 years ago, let alone, you know, decades and decades or a couple hundred years ago when it was started, you know? So interesting times we live in, but, um, you know, that's going to conclude our look right now. Well, you know what, let's look quickly here and I'll just read this last verse and, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So keep that in mind. We're going to look again at Saul um, and who he was. But before we do that, let's just look here. We'll look quickly at Acts verse 8, or excuse me, Acts chapter 8 verses 1 through 3. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So we'll stop there for now. Um, that'll conclude this part of this look at Stephen and the introduction of Paul in the New Testament. So God bless and have a great day.